It's the next level. Good evening. I'm Maggie Walker-Hernandez, and these are tonight's top stories. Tonight, our special segment examines Sammy Kerr, the man and the controversy. Despite a large teenage following, Sammy Kerr had recently been the target of much criticism for his suggestive lyrics and his onstage theatrics. Locally, he was the center of a raging controversy just last week when the town council denied him permission to appear at Lake Ridge High's Halloween party festival next Saturday. A graduate of Lake Ridge High, it was Kerr's wish to return to his alma mater, a move that was extremely popular with the students. The town council, however, blocked the attempt, citing obscenity and violence in Kerr's music. Well, tonight, we have in the studio Mrs. Sylvia Bell, currently head of the Lake Ridge chapter of PTA and instrumental in the recent move to block Kerr's appearance here. Mrs. Cavell. Thank you, Maggie. You know, I've been a school teacher for 37 years, and there is an addiction that is reaching an epidemic proportion in our schools. I am referring to rock music. Now, I've seen more than my share of sexually active and rebellious teenagers, and I know how to deal with them. Eyewitness News was able to obtain footage of Sammy Kerr before a Senate committee inquiry into rock pornography last summer. If you were a parent, would you want your kid growing up around rock music, rock musicians? I mean, with that kind of value? Would you want your kid growing up around politics, politicians, and those values? Mr. Kerr, this is what not... What I'm saying here is you cannot legislate morality. Mr. Kerr, or music, there is no... Or people's mor minds. Or we'll bring you down, man. I have a teenage we daughter. We'll bring you down. Again, rock star Sammy Kerr, victim of a hotel fire, dead at age 38. Do you ever fantasize about being killed? Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying, you know, violently? I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? Well, hello, Mr. Fancy. The following movie contains material that may not be suitable for all viewers. Your discretion is advised. Music is the creation of the devil. Satan will take your soul, use you as his pawn through the power of his melodic mask of terror. He will hide his message through the sounds of backwards wax and vinyl, and he will make you do his bidding. Satan's demand of you this week? To consume the fullest amount your rotting corpse can sustain of this week's Studio Zero and Next Level Network demonic production of What, what Lurks, Lurks Behind, Behind Podcast, Podcast Zero. Zero. And I am your devil man host, Postmortem Paul. Oh, and this is also the 57th episode. This week... Alright, so this week... We're taking a trip 
trip back in time to those satanic days of metal music and parental groups to resurrect those bastardized rantings of Tipper Gore and her little mother's group and then have a good laugh over it. Yeah, this week's uh, featured presentation is the classic 1986 tale of big hair, fast ways, rock and roll, and partying all the time. Trick or Treat from 1986. Ah, but first, because you know, you know how these, you know how this show goes. I always gotta talk shit before I do anything else. And yeah, so I thought this was interesting, so I'm gonna talk about it. And if you don't find it interesting, oh well. Start up a start a parental group. You know, come ban me. But anyways, uh, (laughs) so there's a rumor that's floating around, and I couldn't help but, you know, I I okay, when I read this. I know it's not confirmed yet, but I was like, no, I actually really like this idea because we all know that Jordan Peele is producing a Candyman sequel. Well, what he was calling like a spiritual sequel or whatever. Originally, it was a remake and then it was a sequel. And I mean, I don't know. It, whatever it is. Anyhow, Tony Todd, who played the original Candyman. Well, now the rumor is he could actually be playing the Candyman. Which, that's awesome. But it also leads to thinking, okay, so we had that, uh, there was a report, fuck, I can't remember how long ago it was, a couple months back anyways, that um, the actor from Aquaman who played Black Manta, um, uh, I I can't pronounce his first name, but Abdul Mateen. Uh, Is it Yaha? Yaya? Abdul Mateen? I, I really should stop, but... Anyways, he was reported to be the new Candyman, and now we're hearing it's Tony Todd. So, I don't know. It, it, the The article originally came from Bloody Disgusting, and it is listed as rumor. Uh, nothing's been confirmed. But if that does get confirmed, I'm kind of curious now. I mean, if if we're calling it a sequel, yes, do it. If it's If it's just a spiritual sequel or a remake... Eh, would it really hurt to put someone new in that role? I don't know. Um, I mean, you got to keep in mind, it's been, what, 20 years since Tony Todd played Candyman? Because the last time was uh, Day of the Dead. Well, Candyman Day of the Dead, not the movie Day of the Dead. But you know what I mean? Uh, from, what, 99, I think, was when that happened. So, I don't know. That was kind of interesting. Uh, aside from that, I really didn't see a whole lot like news-wise worth talking. I mean, right before I started recording this, uh, the Stranger Things Facebook page shared a little teaser trailer saying we're not in Hawkins anymore. So I don't know if that's like them throwing some like kind of like Wizard of Oz kind of thing at us or I don't know. And you can read into it a hundred different ways. Their profile picture is now some like faded image of a clock. It looks like it's in the upside down. So, I mean, speculation's flying high on the internet right now as to what this is all about. Whatever. Uh, when Stranger Things Season 4 drops, that's when I'll worry about it. Um, I mean, unless we get some, like, really cool news, but I don't want too much. I mean, DC right now and the CW and all that, they keep promoting their their Crisis on Infinite Earths, which is awesome. I'm really excited about it, but here's my problem. You're telling us too much. 
We know almost every fucking casting coming into this project, and I'm like, okay, honestly, like, Tom Welling apparently is now going to be in this, probably reprising the role of Clark Kent, and it's like, why? Why did you tell us this? I would rather be, like, completely fucking shocked over that and be like, oh my god, than, like... I know, it's because of the internet. See, everyone always thinks social media is so much great and so much fun, but it's kind of ruined things because now these producers and these writers, these directors and whatnot, they feel they have to report everything before somebody leaks it. And it's kind of a shame. I mean, Erica Durance has been added to the Crisis of Infinite Earths project and she's playing Lois Lane and it's like well that would have been a nice surprise but now we know about it so it's not much of a surprise anymore um Michael Rosenbaum of course has already come out and said he won't play Lex so but that's his choice and you know what it's all good but again it's one of those things where I would have preferred watching this crossover thing and not knowing what's coming than like have it all like told to me like months in advance but i get it i mean they gotta hype it up right they gotta get people like wanting to watch it and shit like that so i don't know whatever um in terms of shit i watch lately because okay so for those of you who don't know i'm now back working the midnight shift in my job um and i'm happy about it uh, i'm a nighttime guy so you know what it's it's better i work nights um i'm awake all night long most of the time like even on my days off like i can't sleep at night i was up almost all day yesterday and was it was like well i should be sleeping at night and no it didn't happen i think i took like a half hour nap and was like up till six o'clock this morning so here's what it is anyways so now that i'm back on the midnight shift though i usually come home in the morning and i watch a movie or watch two depending on how tired i am and whatnot i did check out that new Eli Roth film or like I guess he produced it or whatever the movie Haunt alright so a uh, quick tiny little review I'm not going to go into full depth on this but it's not bad it definitely has some weird cross crossbreed feeling or crossbreed vibe of like like the funhouse meets Saw you know or something along that line um, visually it looks great very well filmed uh, decent music score too um score was done by Tom and Andy who also did music on like uh, Resident Evil Afterlife and Retribution and The Stranger Sinister 2 stuff like that but the score was really kind of cool in terms of the villains in the movie the villains look really cool in this Um, some ways are very creepy Um, however it's like the normal cast like the cast of patrons going to the haunted house the extreme haunted house they're going to or whatever they're all really forgettable characters i mean they're there to be you know the the mouse and the cat and mouse kind of game and whatnot i mean because aside from the female lead um katie stevens played her i think her name was harper in the film or whatever uh no one else really stood out um and i i i want that to sound like that i'm like pissing all over these actors and whatnot but it's just there wasn't enough there there wasn't enough substance for those characters um i mean still though the movie is entertaining as fuck if you want a stupid horror flick that's just like mindless and you want something to pass the time haunt is good for that it's kind of like the banana splits movie but not as funny um 
I mean, because Banana Splits was hilarious. Um, I don't know. I will say this, though. Some of the gore is really decent. There's no CGI. So, as you guys know, that always wins points with me. So, uh, do I, would I recommend watching Haunt? Yeah, sure. It's about a six and a half out of ten. Like, it's not a bad flick. Uh, it's just your, 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 you know, festival goer kind of not festival goers, but like you know, people that go to like the haunted house, like the normal people that oh, I want to get scared. Uh, they're they're not memorable. Let's just put it that way. On top of that, I also watched uh, Scream 2 <laughs> on VHS and Jaws on VHS. Jaws, fuck. And I, you know, Jaws is one of those movies that proves you don't need to have blood and gore to make a movie scary. That opening scene to this day is still fucked up. Like, when the girl's out in the water and the shark is, like, just whipping her body around. And there's no blood. There's no gore. You don't even see the shark. But that fucking scene is, like, whoo, you get goosebumps and shit. That's proof of good filmmaking. Um, however, not so good filmmaking. I don't know. Okay, so I read someone on Twitter, uh, and I can't remember who wrote it, but I, I was scrolling through Twitter the one day, and somebody had written that Jackie Earl Haley was not a bad Freddy Krueger. And, you know, I was like, I never really looked at the movie that way. So I was like, all right, you know what? So... I think it was like Thursday morning. I got home from work. I'm like, I don't want to watch anything where I have to actually pay attention because I'm half out. I'm half in the bag as it is, you know, ready to pass out. So I was like, ah, fuck it. And I threw on the Nightmare on Elm Street remake and tried to give it another chance. And I will say this. Okay. It's not a good movie. I mean, it really isn't. But I think for the most part, I have to say the actors are not the problem with this. Because Jackie Earl Haley is Freddy. Well, okay, I, my problem with him as Freddy is he sounds like Rorschach. I mean, same guy, obviously, I get that. But, I mean, it, it, it's like watching Rorschach with, like, a burned face. Um, but, I mean, his Freddy isn't bad. I can honestly say that. I mean, his Freddy Krueger wasn't bad. It's just he's not Robert Englund. Um, but I, I, Freddy Krueger is one of these things where... I think it's something that they're going to have to leave it alone for like 20, 30 years. Like, honestly, if we really want to make an effective remake of Nightmare on Elm Street, stop touching it for a while. Just let it sit. Let it. You look at some of the best remakes. These are remakes of movies that happened 20 and 30 years prior to. Um, I mean, Black Christmas, notwithstanding, because <laughs> that remake, well, not great. But, I mean, like, look at like The Fly. Or The Thing, you know, The Blob. These are movies that they waited 20, 30 years before they finally said, okay, let's let's try and reboot this thing. Let's try and give it a fresh spin. And it worked. Night of the Living Dead, the Tom Savini one, it was perfect. And it came out, what, 21 years later or something like that? So, I don't know. Nightmare on Elm Street is one of these things, and I'd even have to probably say the same about Friday the 13th and Halloween. If you're going to reboot them, like make a brand new version, let it sit a while. And also try to remember that you want to at the same time keep the same essence of the character. Because Halloween, the problem is, is that, like I said, and I've said this time and time again, my problem with Rob Zombie's Halloweens is we didn't take Michael Myers and leave him as a suburban kid. We made him white trash. Well, it didn't work. But, whatever. I, that's me. Um, 
Lurker's recommendation is a little bit better than Nightmare on Elm Street, the remake. Because I'm going to make this real easy. My Lurker's recommendation this week is Shudder. Like, honestly, it, it's the streaming app Shudder. And the reason I say that is because Shudder gave us our first episode of Creepshow, the Greg Nicotero uh, production that, you know, it's basically his love letter to Stephen King and George A. Romero for, you know, the first Creepshow film and whatnot. We got that first episode this uh, past Thursday. Is it Thursday or Friday? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it got a little uh, confusing, and I believe it was Thursday, actually, but it got confusing because a lot of people, even myself, I didn't. When they said it was premiering Thursday, I kind of thought it was like the whole like Netflix thing where it's like you know three a.m. Eastern time, twelve a.m. Pacific time. You know, we drop the season and everybody gets to watch it. Well, that wasn't exactly what Shutter had in mind. Shutter was doing this more like you know Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs, how they stream it live at like eight or nine o'clock at night, and then it's on demand afterwards well i didn't know that apparently a lot of people didn't know that so thursday morning you know i'm i'm at work you know 3 a.m checking my app going where's the new episode well anyways we got it it was like i don't know 11 30 or 12 o'clock in the afternoon they dropped the first episode and each episode, there's six episodes this season. Each episode has two stories. This first one had the story Grey Matter and The House of the Head. Those were the two stories. The Grey Matter one is a Stephen King adaptation. Uh, it had Tobin Bell, Adrian Barbeau was in that episode, or that story, I should say. And on top of that, like a shit ton of hidden eggs. Like all throughout the whole thing, it was like Stephen King Easter eggs everywhere. Uh, including like there's like a bulletin board of like lost pets and whatnot and Cujo and Church are on there and there's a, a newspaper that shows like the death of the Grady twins and stuff like that. It was really kind of cool. Um, and then the second one, obviously, the House of the Head was um, a, a lot of fun, actually. Uh, a haunted dollhouse, which was kind of interesting because it was the whole haunted house thing, but it was a dollhouse at the same time. And well written to the point where as a viewer watching it i even got worried about like a toy dog like it's a piece of plastic that's a dog and you guys know like i i'm like i'm that guy that's like hey i don't mind if there's animals in movies but don't hurt the animals and i'm like nobody better hurt the dog it's a piece of plastic in a dollhouse and i was worried about it going nobody better hurt the dog like that's how well this it was written a great little creepy story and i mean and i i'm gonna put this out there for those of you who haven't watched this yet and you're wondering yes a ton of practical effects a bit of cgi but the cgi doesn't harm this at all it's a lot of practical effects including the return of the creeper himself you know um body suits and puppetry man <laughs> it's, it's i'm like oh shit this is a horror nerd's dream come true um it, again, quick rating, if I'm basing it on the first episode, it's 9.5 out of 10, and I only knock a half point off because I wanted more. I, I didn't want just one episode. I was like, give me it all. I need it all. But other than that, whatever. That's that. I, you know what? I've rambled enough. It's time to move on to our feature presentation. Uh, and I'm looking forward to talking about this one. 
This is a good one. This is my this is my birthday gift to me, by the way, guys. Yeah, I know. I'm, the part of the news I didn't want to report, but hey, it's my birthday. Um, <laughs> whatever. Uh, but yeah, this this episode is a um, not a listener request, but a creator request because I was like, you know what? I want to talk about this movie. I like this movie. I love this movie. There's a lot to talk about this movie, and this movie. What I like about talking about this one is that there's a lot of stuff like thematically I can talk about. And that's what I like about this movie. So I'm going to do the trailer drop. And then when we all return to our shared podcast experience, you will hear me talk about Ragman and the movie from October of 1986, Trick or Treat. Back in a moment, kids. Wake up, sleepyhead. It's body time! Rock and roll will never die. At least not this Halloween. You've heard of raising spirits from the dead by incantations, right? Yes. I did that by playing a record backwards. You're kidding. Sammy Kerr. He's a rock and roll nightmare. I am a big fan of yours. I've got all your records. Shut up! We are the bank, and they is you. This message is meant for me. How can you listen to this stuff? Down to your stereo. I wanted a new one. Sammy Kerr. His fans won't let him die. He won't let them live. You should be loyal to your hero. Make it turn on you. Or treat. Looks like we better check out the party punch. Oh man, there's just there. You know, there is something special about a movie that is not afraid to have Ozzy Osbourne as a TV televangelist, like you know, or like some like minister type, who's like you know gonna take the hammer of the law to to bad rock music that will make you an absolute pervert i fucking love that like (laughs) what the fuck so awesome though um and you know this film like i don't want to say that it's like underrated because with critics and fans alike there's a lot of people that really love this movie but it's like one of those movies that like kind of got like dusted under the carpet you know like a lot of people don't know about it it doesn't help that a studio in North America won't fucking release it on, like, Blu-ray over here. I mean, and even the DVD, like, like I have it on DVD. And the DVD, I have, like, the cover has Gene Simmons and Ozzy Osbourne. You didn't even have enough faith in Mark Price to put him on the fucking cover? Or Tony Fields? Like, no, let's... We'll market it as Trick or Treat starring Ozzy and Gene Simmons. And then they wonder why when people buy the movie and they... You know, in a $5 Walmart bin on top of that, you know, they buy the movie and then they bring it home and they go, well, 
I thought this was starring Gene Simmons and Ozzy. You know, I, whatever. I will get to all of that in due time. Because let's talk about Trick or Treat. Released October 24th, 1986 in North America. Uh, in Germany, though, movie is not called Trick or Treat. It's called Ragman. Kind of makes sense, but I mean... Actually, in a small way, it makes more sense. But... I mean, you know, because, you know, Mark Price's character, his nickname is Ragman, and the movie is mostly about, you know, Eddie. But anyway, and in Spain, if I can pronounce this properly, it's Muerte at 33 RPM. I kind of like that because, like, it, you know, the whole vinyl record thing. Yeah, you guys will know what I'm talking about. But anyways, trick or treat. Directed by Charles Martin Smith, who is actually more of an actor than he is director. However, he did direct, I thought this was awesome, he directed Buffy the Vampire Slayer's pilot episode, Welcome to the Hellmouth, along with an uncredited Joss Whedon. So that's pretty fucking cool, but he's acted in a lot of shit, um, including the TV film Go Ask Alice, which is based on the book Go Ask Alice, which I love that book. Um, I was so happy, I think it was like last year or whatever, I found it in a thrift store finally and didn't have to pay an arm and a leg for it. And I was like, yeah! So I, I love that book. I Honestly, I know I saw the movie, but I don't remember it. Because it, it's one of those like TV movies. I think it was like a TV movie in like 1979 or something like that. And I know I saw it, but I, I don't remember much of it. So one of those things where I might go back and watch it one day. But Charles Martin Smith was also in the Buddy Holly story. He was in Starman. Uh, the John Carpenter film. Uh, he has a role in this movie. He's got a small, tiny little role as Mr. Wembley. Uh, he was in an episode of Tales from the Crypt, Roswell, The X-Files, Kingdom Hospital. So he's done like TV work and whatnot. But yeah, he directed this movie. Um, the movie was written by Rhett Topham. Screenplay by Michael S. Murphy, Joel Swasson, and Rhett Toppin. Rhett Toppin basically is like the primary writer on this. Uh, also worked on projects like 976 Evil, two episodes of Freddy's Nightmares, and 96, 96, 976 Evil 2. I don't know why I struggle with that title. And I always have. Like, even as a kid, I always called it 967. It's like, it's 976, for fuck's sakes, Paul. What the hell is wrong with you? Um... Here's something kind of interesting, though. There's two writers that were uncredited on this film, and they're big names. Like, they're very big names, actually, in, like, the industry and whatnot. Because you had Glenn Morgan and James Wong. Glenn Morgan is a producer for shows like Millennium and the X-Files, and he was the producer and the director for the 2006 Black Christmas remake, which, all right, yeah. And granted, not a great movie, but still... It's like he and he did like a lot of other like TV projects and whatnot. Like, um, and James Wong worked on a lot of the same stuff as Glenn Morgan. I mean, Millennium, X Files, the Black Christmas remake. And then on top of that, he also worked on American Horror Story and he directed Final Destinations one and three and the movie The One. Um, so I mean, like, these are like two names that like in this movie they were so irrelevant that they were uncredited but as the years have gone on like they've established themselves with like really good careers so that's it's kind of like um sean levy you know who was in zombie nightmare 
as like you know this pathetic teen and whatnot but then years later he's like one of the main producers of stranger things you know so it, it, it it's nice when you see like careers that like started off really small and grew and, that, and that's awesome uh the producers for trick-or-treat producers were michael s murphy and joel swasson both of them worked on a nightmare on elm street part two as a matter of fact that comes up quite a bit in terms of like actors and everything uh a nightmare on elm street 2 was um a thing that a, a, a people that are worked on this film worked on that one a lot uh but michael also produced he, he what did he do a nightmare on elm street 2 bill and ted's excellent adventure sometimes they come back um that he did the death from dust till dawn sequels didn't do the original, but he did the two sequels, two and three. Uh, District 9, uh, Dread, with um, Carl Urban. So, I mean, he's done some stuff. And same with Joel. Joel worked on A Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Um, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Maniac, Maniac Cop 3. Fist of the North Star. American Yakuza. Trekkies. Prophecies 1, 2, and 3. Phantoms. Hellraiser Inferno. Um hellraiser hellseeker as well he worked on feast uh dracula 2000 and then dracula 2 ascension dracula 3 legacy and hellraiser revelations thanks for that one but anyways so these two guys again like you know this small little movie like trick or treat careers went on to do great things so that's awesome uh the cinematographer was robert ellswit robert ellswit 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 also worked on Return of the Living Dead 2, A Killing in a Small Town, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, the Human Target TV series. Not the one from, I want to say it was like the early 2000s, I think, like 2002 or something. No, this was the one before that it was only eight episodes long with Rick Springfield. Yeah, that one <laughs> that most people don't know. Uh, Ellswood also worked on Boogie Nights, Tomorrow Never Dies, 8mm, The Town, Nightcrawler, Nightcrawler, Skyscraper, and most recently, Velvet Buzzsaw. The music. So the music, okay, (laughs) score-wise, was done by Christopher Young. I will say, though, that the music that everybody knows this for is uh, the metal soundtrack that came out by the band Fastway. Fastway were... I don't want to. I don't want to say they were a big band in the '80s, but they were the perfect band for this movie. Let's just put it that way. However, the music score done, like I said, by Christopher Young. Christopher Young, 127 composer credits. He's done a lot of fucking shit and a lot of good shit. Uh, the Dorm That Drip Blood, A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Invaders from Mars, Hellraiser, Hellraiser 2, The Fly 2, The Vagrant, The Dark Half. Tales from the Hood, Species, Virtuosity, Hard Rain, Hush, Urban Legend, The Gift, The Grudge, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, The Grudge 2, Spider-Man 3, The Uninvited, Drag Me to Hell, Sinister, did the pilot episode of the TV series Dominion, and most recently, the Pet Cemetery remake, which the, mu- the music for that movie was not bad. Okay, so, starring cast... And the good thing about this is that most of these actors have not done a lot. So it's not like I'm going to be... Christopher Young has more credits than I think everybody else here combined. Uh, So it kind of makes things a little easy. Um, However, these are good actors in this movie. So they each deserve to have their 
their their name mentioned, and we're going to start with Skippy. Um, no, not Skippy. Well, yes, he's Skippy. He's Skippy and Family Ties. But we know him in this movie as Eddie Weinbauer, played by Mark Price. Mark Price is our protagonist. He's our star of the film. He's our lead, our our male lead, so to speak. Uh, right before this, he did a movie known as Combat High, and then we would go on to do Family Ties, obviously, and Killer Tomatoes Eat France from 1992, I think it was, 92 or 93. Um, I mean, he's done other shit, obviously, but I tried to keep this a little bit more low-key this time because sometimes I've noticed that I mentioned an actor's name and I just I go to fucking town. So, uh... Sammy Kerr. Sammy Kerr lives on, lives forever, people. Fuck, right, yeah, metal, rock on. Okay, um, anyways, I sound like a complete moron right now. Sammy Kerr was played by Tony Fields. Tony Fields, okay, so interestingly enough, I thought this was kind of cool. He was in two Michael Jackson videos, and it's the two I actually like. (laughs) He was in Beat It, and he was in Thriller, which Thriller is probably one of the greatest music videos of all time. I don't care if you like Michael Jackson. I don't care if you like his music or if you even like the song. The video itself is fucking amazing. And that's all that needs to be said about that. Uh, Tony Fields was also in one episode of the TV series Werewolf. He was in one episode of the TV series Monsters. Uh, he was a frequent actor on the soap opera Santa Barbara. And this is kind of cool. He was also a dancer for the TV show Solid Gold. He was a Solid Gold dancer, for those of you who remember that. I know I'm showing my age because I do remember it. And a lot of people listening to this are going to be like, I have no clue what he's talking about. Yeah, Solid Gold was like back in like, it was like 1980 to 1984. And it was a TV series that... Um, it came on, there was also a show, uh, in this local area. I don't know if it was like, you know, States wide, but around the Windsor, Detroit area, we also had this show called dance fever and it was like dance fever and solid gold were like hand in hand. Anyways, it was usually an hour block of television on at like at seven or eight o'clock at night where they would play music and they had these dancers on the screen as well. Um, solid gold also, I think had a lot of like performances, uh, like, you know, like different, like pop and disco and stuff like that. So anyways, he was a dancer for that show. So that's kind of cool. Um, and then goes on to play like this, like, you know, satanic rock star. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, that's Tony Fields. Uh, our, I guess you call her the female lead. Um, she's, she's in the movie quite a bit, but I wouldn't, I don't know. I, this, this movie focuses a lot on like you know, Skippy, or, well, Eddie, but whatever, he's Skippy, he'll always be Skippy, um, anyways, Lisa Orgoloni, or, um, no, Orga, Orgolini, Orgolini, god damn, I swear to god, if there ever comes a fucking episode where I get every name right without screwing it up, it'll, it'll have to go down in the fucking history books, man, seriously, Lisa Orgolini plays Leslie Graham in this, and she did a lot of TV, TV uh, films and TV series, uh, basically up till you know 1998, and then she stopped acting altogether. She was also in films like Hideous Kinky and Shining Through. Shining Through's uh, Michael Douglas, Melanie Griffith, and Liam Neeson are all in that one, so that's kind of cool. 
our bully of the movie, you know, basically the the not so much the protagonist because that's Sammy Kerr, but you know, he's he's an asshole. He's the you know, the guy who's the big bully. Uh Doug Savant played Tim Haney. And if you recognize him, because a lot of people watch this and they go, I've seen him before. He was in Teen Wolf with Michael J. Fox as well. And I believe he played the asshole in that too. So um, he was also in the movie Paint It Black. He was in Maniac Maniac Cop 3. This is the second time I've tried to say Maniac Cop. Maniac. See? What is it with me today? Fuck! I swear to God. You know... I'm a very chill person, but when it comes to me with podcasting, I get so angry at myself. Maniac Cop 3. There. And I hope I never have to say that again in this episode. <laughs> um, he was in Godzilla 1998, the Matthew Broderick one. Um, Doug Savant, again, a lot of TV appearances, uh, which included The X-Files, Firefly, Lucifer, 24, The Outer Limits, and he was um, a main character on the show Desperate Housewives. Moving on to Eddie's mother, Angie Weinbauer, played by Elaine Joyce. Elaine Joyce, and you know, it was interesting because when I was watching this, I watched it like last night, you know, refresh my memory of the film and whatnot. I was like, man... Every time I watch this movie, I think to myself, why do I fucking know her face? Like, why does she always look familiar? And it's interesting that I've never put the two together, that she's also in Motel Hell. It's like, how the fuck did I never put that together? But anyways, whatever. Um, yeah, she's <laughs> she's in Motel Hell. She was also in Beverly Hills 90210 and The Love Boat. The Love Boat, she was on it like five times playing five different characters. Um, so that, that, you know, that stands out, whatnot. Glenn Morgan... You know, our uh, uncredited writer, he's also in this as Roger Marcus, And this was his only acting role. He has never acted again. This is the only time. Uh, okay, so let's get to our cool little cameos. The cameos that always get, like, you know, touted as starring, you know. First off, Gene Simmons. So Gene Simmons plays Nuke. He's like the radio DJ in this. He's awesome. I actually really like his character in this. He's also been in Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. Really? Never would have known that. Um, he was in one episode of Deadly Nightmares. He was in the 1984 flick Runaway with... Uh, is it Tom Selleck or Burt Reynolds? Why do I always fuck this up? I think it was... Fuck. God damn it. Anyways, whatever. Uh, he was in one episode of Millennium, the show with uh, Lance Hendrick- Hendrickson. Um King of the Hill, SpongeBob SquarePants. He, and I'm sorry, I know this, uh, you know, horror and sci-fi, you know, podcast and whatnot. But Squun, Sp- <laughs> oh my god, guys, I'm having a rough fucking day. SpongeBob SquarePants is an awesome animated show, and I have to mention it every time I get that chance. So he was in the movie Be Cool. He was on the TV show Castle, Comic Book Men, Scooby Doo and Kiss, The Rock and Roll Mystery. And the movie Why Him with uh, Brian Cranston and James Franco. Then we have Ozzy Osbourne, who obviously okay. Let's get out of the way. He was in the Osbournes. We know. <laughs> uh, in this film, he plays Reverend Aaron Gilstrom. Uh, heavy metal music will make you an absolute pervert. Okay, <laughs> I thought that was awesome. Uh, he was also in the movie The Jerky Boys. He was in Howard Stern's Private Parts. 
South Park he's been on, uh, Little Nicky, Austin Powers, Goldmember. A lot of these movies, by the way, he played himself. <laughs> it's pretty much no one else he can play, right? Unless he's Reverend Aaron Gilstrom. Uh, he was in Nomeo and Juliet, and sad to say, he was in the Ghostbusters 2016 remake. Okay, we're almost done. I promise, I promise. But uh, moving on to Elise Richards. Elise Richards plays Jeannie Wooster. Um, Elise is, if you've seen this movie, so you're watching it and you think to yourself, that's, uh, what's her name? Aunt Becky from Full House? I think it's Becky anyways. But anyways, you to look at her, you'd think, oh my God, that is, it, it's Lori Laughlin. No, it's not. Uh, this is like the discount lookalike version. And... This and one other movie are her only two acting credits. She was in a movie called Valet Girls. That's it. And this, obviously. But, I mean, it's funny because, like, even even to this very day, I'll watch it and it doesn't click at first. And I'm like, oh, Lori Laughlin. And then it's like, oh, no, wait. No, it's not. It's Elise Richards. Um, but two acting credits and that's it. Uh, Clara Trow plays Maggie Wong Hernandez. And I mention this because, okay, she's the, um, the very coincidental TV reporter who just happens to report the news about, you know, Sammy Kerr's death right when it just so happens Eddie is doing laundry and is in the exact room that the TV is showing this because we have a TV on with no one in the room. But anyways, uh, <laughs> she was, uh, in this, she's, um, credited as Claire Nono. But um, she was also in 48 Hours and she was in Cujo. So I thought that was kind of cool. And that's why I, I brought her up. Alice Nunn. Alice Nunn. Oh, you guys know her. Uh, she plays Miss Sylvia Cavell in this. She's she's the one on the TV that's like, you know, um, kind of like Ozzy's character, you know, reporting about Sammy Kerr and, you know, how bad his music is. And, well, she's like, the kids have found this new devil rock music. Well, you know her. Anyways, you'd know her also from the movie Snakes, Thrashin', Three O'Clock High, or I know you all fucking know her from Pee-wee's Big Adventure. She's fucking large Marge, man. And I swear to God, you cannot, like, misplace the face. As soon as you see her, it's like, that's fucking large Marge, man. That's so awesome. And that's pretty much the only time you see her in the movie. So it's kind of like a cameo. So it's like the large Marge cameo. Really cool. Um, Larry Sprinkle plays Marv McCain. He was also in films like Rottweiler, Dogs of Hell. I And believe it or not, I have that movie. I still haven't watched it. Um, it's one of those things like sometimes I buy a lot of movies and I don't watch them all. They're... I, I've watched most of the movies I own, but I'd say there's probably about a good, yeah, let's say maybe 50 to 100 I haven't watched yet that I bought like years ago. It's like, get on that, Paul. But anyways, it's always good to have them. You never know when you'll need them. Um, he was in Rottweiler, Dogs of Hell. He was also in Firestarter and King Kong Lives, just to name a few. And then, of course, there's Charles Martin Smith, our director, who also plays Mr. Wimbley. One other acting credit, which is kind of not acting, but he has a role in the film nonetheless. Special effects wizard Kevin Yeager is the lead guitarist for the band The Kickers in this. Uh, the Kickers being the band that's playing Halloween night at the high school and whatnot. Yeah, he's he's the lead guitarist on stage. How, where do we know Kevin Yeager from? Oh, I don't know. Maybe like Friday the 13th, the final chapter. A Nightmare on Elm Street's. 
two, three, and four. Freddy's Nightmares, nine, seven, six, evil. Hey, I said it right this time. Uh, Tales from the Crypt, Child's Play, Hellraiser Bloodline, the Bill and Ted films, The Dentist, Ion Flux. And I realized that in not all of those, he was he no, he didn't act in almost all of those. He's the special effects guy. I mean, he created Chucky, you know, he he helped create the Crypt Keeper. Like he worked on all the Bill and Ted films, including the one coming up soon. Like, so yeah, it, it's kind of cool because uh, it, what Kevin Yeager, Charles Martin Smith, uh, Glenn Morgan, all these guys that are behind the scenes get their chance to have a small cameo somewhere in this movie. This is, this movie honestly is the movie of cameos. That's what it is. You've got large Marge, you've got Gene Simmons, Ozzy Osbourne, and a bunch of behind-the-scenes guys that all said, hey, I want, like, you know, two minutes in front of a camera, too. So, that's really awesome. The movie is rated R. Its runtime is 98 minutes. The budget for it was 3.5 mil, and worldwide gross was just under 6.8 million. So, not bad. Um, it would really help if they released a Blu-ray of it. But anyways, whatever. Now it's time for the synopsis. Anyone is a typical all-American teenager. At least he was until he fell under the evil spell of rock music. Now he's obsessed with his heavy metal superstar idol, Sammy Kerr, who is killed in a hotel fire. Oh no! Eddie becomes the recipient of the only copy of Kerr's unreleased album, which when played backwards sends a message of destruction and as Halloween approaches, Eddie begins to realize this isn't only rock and roll, it's life and death, and he must draw the line to thwart this mission. So when the film was released theatrically uh, in the United States and Canada, obviously North American, whatever, uh, it was released by the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group. They released it, obviously, October 1986. We've already been through that. Uh, it did get a VHS release by Lorimar Home Video the following year. So in 87, it was on VHS. That's how I saw it for the first time was on VHS. Probably one of those days, you know, those Friday nights or whatever, when I went in and, you know, rented my VHS and whatnot. I remember the cover was really cool. You know, you saw like this, like badass, like metal rocker, you know, wailing on a guitar with a demon and it's got like fire and all this shit so i mean obviously it attracted my attention right the dvd uh there was a dvd released in 2002 by platinum disc uh corporation i the version i have which is in my hand right now is like no name <laughs> there's like it no distribution company whatsoever and the disc is like just like black and it says trick-or-treat on it that's it um which I think it's like one of those like knockoff versions or whatever. In 2014, there uh, this is okay. Earlier I was talking about in Germany how it's known as Ragman. So in 2014, a three disc collector's edition of Trick or Treat uh, came out in Germany. Uh, it was known as Ragman. It wasn't known as Trick or Treat, but whatever. Uh, it had an all region Blu-ray disc that came with it. Uh, the DVD, however, was region two. And then you also got like the soundtrack CD, which I think everybody that's ever loved this movie has owned the soundtrack one way or another. I have it on cassette myself, but 
Everybody has owned it in either vinyl, cassette, CD, or multiple, you know what I mean? And not to mention digital, obviously, in this digital era. And you can listen to the soundtrack on Spotify as well. Um, but yeah, uh, unfortunately, no North American Blu-ray release of this. And like I said, like the DVDs that like you can buy, like I, I got, it, I swear, mine's like a knockoff version. It's very clear. I mean, um, unfortunately, not widescreen. It doesn't. It's got like that, you know, four to three aspect ratio and whatnot, which is pretty much, I think, how the DVD in like North America. Like I, I think it was like that four to three aspect a- aspect ratio, the letterbox, whatever they call it. It has that look. If you want the widescreen, it's pretty much try and find this three disc collector's edition, and at least the Blu-ray is all region, and you know it'll it'll play anywhere. But it is what it is. On top of all that, now notes from beyond this mortal coil. Um. And there's a lot to talk about here. Uh, this this is now like as some of this is trivia that I've learned throughout the years on this movie, and some of it is actually my thoughts. Um, like it's starting off with uh, like Blackie Lawless of the band Wasp was originally slated to play Sammy Kerr. Um, it would have been interesting to see because then. Sammy Kerr would have actually been singing. I'm sure that Blackie Lawless would have done the vocals for those songs, which then means we might not have gotten the soundtrack from the band Fastway that we got. Um, so it, it, it kind of it, it makes you wonder what would this movie have looked like if Blackie Lawless had played Sammy Kerr. Um, and I'll be honest with you, like as as much as I love the soundtrack to this, like by the band Fastway. I don't know that I would have wanted Blackie Lawless to be Sammy Kerr then because, and, and I'm not saying I don't like Wasp because I do. <laughs> it's not that. What I'm saying is, is this soundtrack because like looking at it retroactively, I love this soundtrack and I'm glad it's what we got from this movie. So kind of glad they went the route they did because I mean, granted Wasp soundtrack, you know, a, a soundtrack done by the band Wasp might've been just as fucking good, if not maybe better, but I like what we got, so it's not one of those things where I'm like, well, that was a lost opportunity. No, it worked out well. Um, I like that this movie, like, and this comes up in trivia sections all the time as well, is like how it was very well grounded in the heavy metal uh, culture, like to the point where like there's the scene where Eddie's mother is looking through the records and you see like the first record you see, I believe it's the first one. Um, Megadeth's uh, killing is my business and business is good. Uh, and I love that. I love that we saw that album cover cause that's a damn good album too. But, um, I, one of the things that I learned about this though, and this, I mean, I guess I kind of always knew this, but I didn't actually know it. It's kind of whatever, if that even makes sense. But I guess in in the movie, and I've never really noticed this. This came up in a trivia section once, and to be honest, I've never gone back and actually looked. But I guess like the corner of the album cover is like cut a little. That's uh, that is to um, basically state that it's a radio promo, so like a radio promo version. Or this I did know. Um, 
sometimes when discounted albums back in the day when they were being sold in record stores, they would like they put like um it looked like a, a hole punch in the bottom corner. I have a few records like that myself actually from back in the eighties and whatnot. And it it's to signify that the album was being like discounted, like it was like clearance sale and stuff like that. Um I know it, totally ruining my heavy metal cred when I say this, but I have a Samantha Fox record actually from uh, I want to say '88, and the corner of it has like a it's like a hole punch in it, and that was because I got it for I think it was like three bucks when I bought it, and I just happened to like the one song on it, so I was like, eh, whatever. Was, back then, like records were cheap, right? So it, you basically were paying the price of a forty-five for a full record so i was like all right whatever um and it's kind of cool that also like to mention about when his mother is looking through the records that one of the bands that she sees is a a canadian band exciter um it's uh the album was unveiling the wicked actually that they uh they showed there um and obviously on the posters on his wall i mean you see like judas priest anthrax Twisted Sister, Motley Crue, Ozzy Osbourne, which is funny. You see Ozzy Osbourne poster in his bedroom, and Ozzy is playing this, like, you know, televangelist and so not himself, and (laughs) it's just kind of funny. Um, And then, obviously, Kiss is on the wall as well. You see a poster of Kiss, and it's like, well, Gene Simmons is playing Nuke, but, eh, whatever. I mean, that's the thing, like, right? Like, when you go into this movie, yes, it's a horror flick. Yes, it's it's got its um like it's a ghost story basically, right? But the huge the biggest part of this movie is the music. The music because it represents somewhat the emotion that Eddie goes through, but at the same time it, it's it's the whole message of this movie. And okay. So let's flash back to 1986. For those of you who weren't around in the 80s or who were like, you know, three years old still in diapers, because um, three year olds wear diapers. I don't fucking know. I don't have kids, whatever. Um, but, anyways, back in 1986, there was what we knew as the PMRC, the Parents Music Resource Center. And it was headed by Tipper Gore, Al Gore's wife. Yep. Tipper Gore. So if you ever hear the expression of like, uh, you know, here we go, Tipper Gore again, and it refers to music, it's because this Parents Music Resource Center was, um, they were put in place to, um, like, to control music. They wanted the uh, the, um, RIAA, you know, the recording industry, whatever, they wanted them to, you know, put these labels, the parental advisory labels on albums. They wanted to make it more known uh, for parents to know what they were buying for their kids and whatnot. But at the same time, it was a censorship thing. They wanted albums censored. A perfect example, Poisons open up and say, ah, okay. It came out, what, 1987, I want to say. I think it's 87 or 88. Anyways, the cover of that is like this, like, you know, metal head, like cat, like creature. And it's sticking its tongue out. And if you bought the album, the censored version, all you saw were the eyes. Everything else was black. It was black screen. 
basically on the whole album. And then it said poison, open up and say, ah, you never saw the tongue. You didn't see the mouth because uh, according to the PMRC, it was representing like sexual innuendo with the, the long tongue and the open mouth and whatnot. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? This PMRC, it, it, they were known as the Washington Wives because it was basically four women started this and they were all um, related to famous politicians. For example, you had Tipper Gore was related to Al Gore. Susan Baker was related to the Treasury Secretary, James Baker. Pam Hauer was re, the wife of Washington realtor Raymond Hauer. And Sally Nevius was the wife of the former Washington City Council Chairman John Nevius. Um, and they honestly, it was four women who had you know nothing better to do with their time than sit there and try and blame society's problems on music. They were blaming it on heavy metal. They were blaming it on on the suggestive sexual and violent themes in music, whatnot. I mean, bands like ACDC, Def Leppard, Judas Priest, Motley Crue, Twisted Sister, Wasp, uh, Venom, um, fuck Van Halen. Like, all these bands were being targeted. And I, I'm going to add Cyndi Lauper. Uh, no fucking lie. Cyndi Lauper's uh, She-Bop from her album She's So Unusual, that song was uh, uh, directly targeted by the PMRC for representing female masturbation. Oh, fuck. And y the funny thing is, is like back in the 80s, this was a thing. Like this was, oh my God, music is so horrible. Because God forbid, you know, could you imagine the PMRC existing in today's day with like artists like Eminem or Cradle of Filth, or they'd have a fucking heyday with some of these bands. Two Live Crew, of course, I think Two Live Crew, they did get targeted, actually, because it was right about the time before the PMRC, PMRC um, like, basically disbanded. We'll call it that. Whatever. They were around till like, 1996, I think I saw somewhere. Um, but, yeah, it, it, when, when you think about today's music and the shit that comes out today, I mean, to the point where even on the radio stations, the only word they're basically censoring these days is fuck. Everything else gets through on the radio these days. But in 1986, that was unheard of. You know what I mean? Like, okay, a very famous song, Twisted Sisters, We're Not Gonna Take It. How often do you hear this song? It's like an iconic theme of like standing up for yourself and whatnot. That song was targeted by the PMRC because it was suggesting violence against society. Fuck off. Are you fucking kidding me? But that's what this movie, that's what made this movie so relevant. Um, it, watching it, watching the movie today, you're, it, it doesn't fit in today's society. So, okay, I, I get it. But, and it's, it's sort of where the criticisms, it, where I'm going with this is, you take someone today, if someone who has not seen this movie, someone who is of the modern day generation watches this movie, they'll look at it and go, well, okay, this is kind of stupid. Like, so it, what made this kid think to play a record backwards? But, a, but the whole record playing backwards thing, like, oh no, Satan, it's Satan. Like, this was actually a thing. Backmasking is what they called it. It was used primarily for aesthetics. It's got a cool sound. You you play something backwards, it's got that sound to it, and it sounds kind of cool or whatever. Um, 
it was used to enhance the meaning of a song maybe or like you know like it, for example, like Judas Priest used it. Judas Priest was one of the famous ones because they actually went to court over this shit. I'm not kidding. They went to fucking court over this shit for the song Love Bites because Rob Halford, the lead singer of the band, recorded the words in the dead of night, Love Bites. And it had it play backwards to give like this like cool aesthetic to the sound. They went to court over this shit. Like, <laughs> because... Oh my god, it's satanic. It's like part of that whole like like satanic panic thing like in the 80s. Um but backmasking goes as far back as like the 60s in 1969. I, one of the most famous ones, Revolution Number no. 9 by the Beatles. You know, it came it, there was this urban legend that it said Paul is dead. And I I am not going to lie, I tried it myself. I've my dad had the white album. Okay, let's see. Does it say Paul is dead? If you want to train your ears to thinking you hear it, yeah, maybe. I mean, is it there? We'll never really know. <laughs> I mean, but because uh, the band could say yes or no. I mean, well, the remaining members, there's two of them left. But um, they could say yes, we did it. They could say no, we didn't. Do you really know? I mean, and, and I mean, and this was something like, okay, backmasking was funny because especially in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Christian groups went fucking nuts over this shit. Like, they alleged that backmasking was being used for all these satanic purposes to make kids kill. Uh, what was it? There was When I was in grade school, there was a rumor that in one of the Judas Priest songs, there was the words, do it, were put backwards. And that meant go out and kill your parents. Oh my god, we've got to take the record off the shelves. Kids will kill their fucking parents. You know what? In some cases, I wish this actually happened. No, I don't. But I got to put disclaimers on my on my jokes. I get it. I get it. But no, seriously, like, this was a thing. And, you know, <laughs> bands had to come out and, like, and Slayer had to admit it. Uh, they, you know, they back mass oh that's what it was was slayer now i remember slayer had the words join us and they had it play backwards no, i mean it was meant as a joke it was meant like join the slayer army like you know kind of like the kiss army and whatnot um but the fucking pmrc was just going after this shit christian groups were going after this shit and that's that's where trick-or-treat was a fun movie for its time because it was a a satiric way of looking at the whole music backmasking satanic worshiping cult fucking crap that was coming out of these guys and it was basically their way of saying fuck you <laughs> like, because yes you want to sit there and you want to act like you know metal music was so bad metal music was what helped this kid get through his bullying because now trick-or-treat where it's relevant today bullying there is a huge theme very huge theme of bullying in this movie and the character of eddie weinbauer is connected and like to the music and i know i'm making it sound like it's like you know some like spiritual fucking thing and whatnot but i know growing up as a kid myself I went through the whole bullying thing myself and we didn't have social media where, you know, you could have someone say you are not alone. We didn't have that. Okay. We didn't have social media to tell us that it's okay. And that you can talk to someone. We didn't have that. 
Um, even like, you know, bullying awareness phone numbers. That was a, I'd say, late 80s to early 90s thing. Yeah, it was there. But it still, again, it wasn't something that was like very big. Um, so what did you do? You You found something to cling on to. In this movie, they used the music, the heavy metal music. For me, it was movies. It was comic books. It was music. I'm not going to lie. I, I, my discography is like, you know, miles long of, of bands that I have like, like collected and grown to and lived through. Um, and that's a very prominent thing. It's very relevant because it's, it, it happens even today. You know, um, the idea of being an outsider the uh, the idea of be of isolation of being alone and that's what Eddie Weinbauer's character like you know Mark Price Skippy uh, that's his character his character is something that we can relate to it's something that's very relevant it's something that helps to make this movie timeless even though yes the whole aspect of like you know backmasking and and you know the PMRC like I said the PMRC aren't even around anymore like. In 96 or 97, whatever it was, they gone. Bye-bye. But, I mean, the idea of, of bullying is very real. Now, in this day, I it, granted, it, 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 things have changed. Bullying has a new face. B- bullying is through social media now. It's trolling. It's And, I mean, okay, is trolling... To a certain extent, it can be fun. You can have fun with people. There's nothing wrong with having fun with people. But then there is also the element of taking it too far, which is something that's shown in this movie. Um, the locker room scene is taking it too far. When 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 Tim is trying to you know antagonize Eddie and he throws his cassette out into the volleyball game where all the girls are playing, pulls the towel off of. Eddie as he's running out there and now you have a naked Eddie in front of all these girls and then the one girl comes along and takes a picture of it like it's utter humiliation that is bullying to the fullest effect that's that's sickening and it's something that we see we see it in society we see it in our schools in our workplaces and whatnot now the the thing is is that you know we try to have this more open attitude towards it now and and what i mean by open is like that we're open to helping people out through that you know you've got your just just say no you've got your it's never okay like kind of um mantras that you know workplaces and schools are trying to push and whatnot but the thing is is that it's still going on and it's happening every day and it's happening to all of us at every any given day, someone bullies us. Now, to what effect? That's that's the difference. Like I and me, I'm I'm a heckler. I love to fuck with people. You know, I have a friend at work that every day he says hey to me. Like he'll be like, hey, how's it going? I'll be like, fuck you. Um, and he knows I'm joking. But if I really want to break it down, it's bullying. I mean, it, because there's a mutual respect between him and I, and he knows I'm joking and that I don't actually mean it. It's between us. It's understood, but to a common, to a, you know, a commoner walking by that doesn't know me and him, it, like, you know, or him and I, or whatever you want to, however you want to word it. And if we want to get proper English here, um, they might think that I'm being an asshole to him. You know, I, I, 
I profess myself as an asshole half the time, you know, but I, getting back to the movie, that's what makes this movie very powerful even in today's day is that the idea of of bullying. Mark Price as Eddie. Here, here's some, more of my notes now on this instead of my, you know, soapbox moment about, you know, the PMRC and bullying, but which the PMRC themselves were bullies because honestly, stop trying to tell people what to say. I mean, these bands, they market their stuff to a, a target audience. Um, you know, like, like Wasp is not trying to sell their stuff to some kid who's listening to Eminem. I mean, granted, Eminem wasn't around back then, so let's say Public Enemy. Um, there were target audiences for each of these, these musics. You could say they had impressionable minds and whatnot, but I mean, the PMRC were trying to control something, and naturally, you try to control something, it makes something more wild. And so naturally, the bands were like, okay, fine, if you're going to control me, I'm going to piss you off even more because I'm going to push the boundary even more. And look at the music industry that we have today. Now we have Post Malone. Thanks a lot for that, guys. Fuck off. <laughs> but anyways, let's move on to like the actors. For example, Mark Price. As Eddie does a great job, he really portrays the emotions and thoughts of someone who feels isolated, who feels centered out, who f- and negatively as well. Like... It, He's being bullied. Doug Savant plays the bully perfectly. Um, never did I, I never did I watch it and feel that it was too over the top. And as a matter of fact, one thing that I really liked about Tim's character is how he tries to use the reverse psychology aspect of you're bullying me by being in my presence, so stay the fuck away from me aspect, which is something that a lot of people do and it never gets noted. Bullying is not just a matter of walking up to someone and saying, you're ugly. Sometimes bullying somebody is walking up and saying, your presence makes me feel uncomfortable. So you're, in essence, you're bullying me. That's that's another aspect of bullying, and it's done very well in this movie. Uh, Tony Fields as Sammy Kerr. He's a gem. He's a gem. Uh, <laughs> I get that Mark Price, you know, Eddie Weinbauer, Skippy is our main character, but... Tony's performance is a treat to watch, especially when they do the courtroom footage and like uh, when they're reporting his death and whatnot. And he's like, we will take you down. And it's like, all right, that was over the top. But you know what? I get it because they're trying to make it look like he's in character. But is he really in character and stuff like that? For those of us who remember and for those of you who don't, um, D. Snyder went up against Washington. He went up against Tipper Gore and her PMRC, and everybody thought when he walked in the room, here he's got his you know his bleach blonde hair, he's got his fucking cut off jean vest and you know ripped jeans and metal shirt on and everything. Everybody expected he was going to walk in there and be a complete fucking airhead, and then he spoke, and he made everybody in that room look like a bunch of fucking idiots. This was kind of the opposite of that. This was Sammy Kerr walks in there. Yeah, he's intelligent. Yes, he's right. You you can't censor the way we think. You can't censor morality and whatnot. But then he takes it over the top and it's like, okay, I love this scene, but I really wish you would have played this differently and made it look like you were the one that walked in and were the smart one. But it is what it is. Uh, the cameos. 
it because we've got a lot. Like I said, this is like a movie of cameos, cameos of Gene Simmons and Ozzy Osbourne. Absolutely entertaining, especially Ozzy. Uh, like I said, it's just so funny to see Ozzy as a, like a televangelist, uh, religious minister kind of character going against satanic rock music. It's fucking priceless. Like, I mean, it's just this. We're talking about the diary of the madman himself the madman cometh the ozman cometh whatever like we're talking about like mr blizzard of oz himself pretending to be against exactly what he does for a living it's just it's so awesome and gene simmons is like you know he's nuke he's the radio dj he's he's the reason eddie goes down this road kind of in a way in the first place because he hands him that 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 unreleased demo you know, on vinyl, I might add, which is so fucking awesome, which is kind of funny because you're playing vinyl records at a radio station that you already recorded the record so you can play it on tape at midnight. It's like, okay, why do you still have records then? Because if you've proven already that you have tapes and why, but anyways, I, I, I get it right. Movie. And, (laughs) and then of course, large March. How the fuck can you go wrong? We have large margin in this fucking movie. Like, come on. Now, in terms of environment, in terms of setting, in terms of timepiece, in terms of Halloween, because the movie's called Trick or Treat. And, well, the Halloween thing, it's it's there. Okay. We get movies today that take place at Halloween, and we got to have a fucking jack-o'-lantern on Every fucking street corner, every garbage can, every table, every PlayStation 4 that's in a fucking scene. Like, jack-o'-lanterns are everywhere. I like that this movie actually doesn't push that. There is a couple scenes where you see a house and you'll see a jack-o'-lantern or two on the front porch or something like that. The idea of the dance taking place on Halloween night, that's, that's, that's good. But we, this movie spends a lot more time focusing on music censorship, on bullying, um, you know, bullying at the high school level. The Halloween thing kind of takes second, like second billing to this. It's, it's not the target. It, it, well, okay. The Halloween is the target for the final showdown, but it really, it's not something that is heavily pushed, which is okay because when you think about it, now you take the title Trick or Treat. Trick or Treat can fit in certain different ways metaphorically. I mean, if you put it into the context of, like, for example, the trick being the shen- the shenanigans of the ghost of Sammy Kerr and the treat in how it makes Eddie feel to overcome his bullying, um, Trick or Treat works that way. You can also look at it as the trick is also the antagonistic side of the film in that Sammy is using Eddie for his, you know, his sinister plans and whatnot and offering Eddie the the treat of feeling superior. So, again, trick or treat doesn't necessarily have to always re- resemble the idea of Halloween. In this, it it's the whole idea of the illusion Um Watching Eddie struggle with the realization that his idol really isn't who he thought he is. You know, um, the trick and the treat. The treat being, yes, you're my idol, but the trick being, I thought you were someone you're not. Like, So it's really interesting when you actually kind of put a, a thought process to this. Trick or treat doesn't necessarily have to mean Halloween. So Halloween not being, 
you know, as heavily pushed in our face is quite all right. Like, um, I mean, and then just topping off on the whole acting aspect of this, nobody in this film is trying to give the performance of their lives. They know this isn't an Oscar winner. They're not, they're not going, you know, over the top, but the acting is decent. You're not watching this rolling your eyes. If anything, you're, you're sympathizing with your characters. Uh, and like in terms of like Tim being the bully, like you, you want him to kind of get his upcomings. Like, you know what I mean? Like, um, so I mean, like there's a lot of good things that play into this. It'd be crazy of me not to talk a little bit more about the music because obviously the music is what makes this movie. Christopher Young's score is definitely solid. Um, unfortunately it's not sold anywhere and you can't stream it anywhere. So that's kind of a bummer. I mean, especially in the era that we live in where music scores are very big right now, you know, it's almost like the modern day classical music. And I wish there was a way I could get the score for this, but it's not out there, but the music of fast way is, I mean, a nine track, it's nine songs, simple little soundtrack. I believe it runs at like 32 minutes long and the fucking the songs are nice little anthems. They 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 kick ass. And within like the first what fifteen minutes of the movie, you've already heard four of the songs. It's awesome. Like, um, I mean, it's it's a great album. Horror fans and metalheads, you know, have grown up loving this album. Like I said, this uh, the soundtrack is a gem, and we we've all owned it in some way or another. Whether, like, for myself, like I said, I have the cassette and I have it digitally. Um, I used to have the CD years ago. That unfortunately got ruined. Um, long story short, basement flooded. <laughs> Not good. But, um, yeah, it, it got ruined. Um, I've never had it on vinyl. I do know there is a vinyl release, though. And it's something that if... I know it's pretty easy to get to. Like, it's pretty accessible. So, I mean, if you're if you're a vinyl collector and you want it... and do a little digging. I'm sure you'll find it. Uh, like I said, I have the cassette and it's kind of funny because speaking of cassettes, pure coincidence, this absolute pure coincidence that I chose this film to review this week because just last week, Sony announced the 40th anniversary of their Walkman and they're releasing a commemorative digital version of said Walkman, um, which it has like a, the interface on the front has like a cassette and whatnot. It won't play cassettes. It's digital. It's going to play like digital music and streaming and whatnot. But I mean, it's kind of cool. But you watch this movie, you see Walkmans a lot. You see cassettes a lot. And it's funny because it's like Sanyo and Panasonic Walkmans in in the movie. There's no, I don't recall seeing a Sony Walkman in there. But it is what it is. In terms of the reception of this film, now that's the thing. This is a film that more times than not has seen its its fair share of love even though it's still an underrated flick um in terms of that it doesn't get talked a lot about outside of the horror community um imdb has the movie at a 5.8 out of 10 rotten tomatoes uh, the critic approval rating is at 75 percent. that's fucking awesome the audience score is at 62 so that's not that bad like it, it, as long as it's in the positive, because this this movie, like I said, musically and the idea of censorship, not so relevant today in terms of music, because there's censoring other ways. But um, 
But in terms of censorship of music, it's not as relevant today. So that that part of the movie tends to fail uh, upon newer viewers in this day and age. But the idea of bullying is very strong still. So it helps to keep this movie relevant. And I might also add that 95% of Google users like this film. So people who are looking it up, people who are on Google and they say, hey, I'll rate this movie. Yeah, they fucking love it. Podcast zero rating. I did this two different ways. I did this two different ways. Um, I'm doing it as a critical standpoint and a fan standpoint. Because like I said, one thing about this podcast, I want to go, I want to make sure I bring the fan element to this. Some of these movies are not good, but I don't care because the reason I want to talk about them is because I loved them. So critically, if I have to rate this film, I say it's a 7 out of 10 satanic back masks. Ah, but I say that because, like I said, the element of music censorship in today's day, it's a thing of the past. It doesn't help to keep the film like current. The bullying theme, though, keeps it very current. But you can tell when you're watching this, it is a dated 80s movie. It is a, it's a movie for that time. Um, my fan rating? Fuck you. It's a 10 out of 10. All hail Sammy Kerr. Woo! Yes. No, this movie is definitely, definitely, definitely a 10 for me. Um, like I said, I saw it on VHS years ago. And then I saw it on cable. Um, as a matter of fact, I kind of... I don't have the VHS for this movie, but I kind of have a VHS version of it because back in the day when we had Scream Television here in Canada, um, it's kind of like Shudder, but it was a, a television network. Um, anyways, they aired Trick or Treat, and at the time, I didn't have the DVD, but I wanted the movie, so I recorded it off the TV. So I actually have the television broadcast version of Trick or Treat, which is the full movie. Full movie. They didn't censor anything. Um so it, in essence, I kind of have a VHS version of this. That said, if you're looking for the VHS, good luck. Uh, unless you want to pay a lot of money. I know on Amazon.ca, if you look up Trick or Treat, you can find it on VHS. You know, NTSC uh, version, uh, you know, for North America. New. It's new. 632 bucks. <laughs> so, hey, if you want to pay that fucking much money, go for it. Uh, eBay, good luck. Most people are charging at least 100 or more to start. Um, you know, and you can bid on them, but you're going to be paying a pretty penny. The thing is, is like this movie, it, it might be dated, but it's fun. It's quick paced. It's got a great message for those of us who remember those days. And at the same time, a message that's relevant for today all the while not taking itself too seriously. I mean, we get kind of a rape scene in this movie where a girl gets raped by the essence of the music she's listening to on her Walkman. <laughs> and that's the Lori Loughlin, um, like lookalike, you know, that's Elise Richards, uh, has a scene in the car where she kind of thinks she's, having some sexual moment with this music she's listening to on her on her boyfriend's Walkman. And as she opens her eyes and sees this fucking like frog looking like demon, it's kind of funny. And apparently it's the essence of Sammy Kerr, because Sammy Kerr lives forever. Yeah. And on that note, thanks for listening, kids. Uh, yeah, so 
this was a fun episode. I think I talked a lot, uh, but that's all right. Um, if you're still listening, thank you. Yeah, wow, I definitely recommend this movie. Um, and I mean, like, honestly, there there's DVD versions out there. Uh, check the Amazon Marketplace. I, I like looking there for a lot of movies. You find some cool shit. Um, we need a fucking Blu-ray release of this movie, though. And I, every every now and then, I keep looking like you know, I keep hoping that like Kino Lorber or Shout Factory, Scream Factory, somebody, somebody fucking give us a Blu-ray version of this fucking movie because it's a good movie. Um, the effects, there's not a lot, but there, it, I mean, the electricity that comes through like the electronics and stuff, it looks kind of cheesy and whatnot. But who the fuck cares? The movie's just fun to watch. It's it's enjoyable. That's the thing that's missing from some movies these days is the enjoyment factor. And this movie is very enjoyable. So thank you for listening. Um, it, like I said, it's a creator's request. This is my fucking choice for my birthday. And I'm glad I did it because I, I love talking about this movie. But now it's time for me to just... Do the plugs, you know, let you know where you can find the podcast and the social media links and the shit like that. Next episode, well, you guys already know it. I'll just say it now. Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight was supposed to be the last episode, but because of the passing of Sid Haig, I, I switched that up. So next week's episode is Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight. Where to find the show? Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, CastBox, FM Player. And the Next Level Network. Uh, and you know what? Every now and then I get curious, so I'll Google my own podcast just to see where you can find... There's constantly new podcast uh, sites and apps that are adding the podcasts, the, 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 the ones that are already you know going and whatnot. So I'm sure you, you, Podcast Addict, I think, is another one as well that has, has the show and whatnot. So basically wherever you stream your 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 podcast listening experiences from i'm sure you'll find it just look up what lurks behind podcast zero and on social media now uh, excuse me social media facebook.com slash what lurks behind podcast zero instagram at what lurks behind podcast zero twitter at wlb podcast underscore zero uh, Redbubble, go on the Facebook page. Hit shop now. It'll take you right to the store. You don't even have to know the address. Just hit shop now. It'll take you right to the store. Um, there is obviously the nextlevelnetwork.com slash podcast zero. Go there. Go to the nextlevelnetwork.com for other podcasts. There's a, a fucking ton of them. Um, Go to whatlurksbehindpodcastzero.com. I'd make it really easy on yourself. Just add a .com to it. Uh, at Gmail. Email me at whatlurksbehindpodcastzero at gmail.com. And that, it, I, there's really not much more I can say. I mean, I, I've talked a lot. This has been an awesome episode to record. And I, I just want to I wanna end it off. I want to send this off with obviously a track from the soundtrack it's the only way to do this and i mean i'd be stupid if i didn't like like what would you rather would you rather i, I play cindy lopper she bop uh yeah technically relevant in this episode as you know i was talking about the pmrc and whatnot but man fuck tipper gore 
Fuck your censorship. Yeah. 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 Fuck censorship. But anyways, enough of that. It's time to go out some fast way. Next week, Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight. Happy birthday to me, by the way. Because oh. it's all about me, right? That's, that's the era we live in. Social media has made it that we are all about ourselves. Even though we say we're about other people, we're all about ourselves. But hey, what do I know? I'm just some sarcastic fucking prick. But hey, time to go now. I've talked enough. Ciao for now, kids.